You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Amen. So yesterday we had a great day. It was Mother's Day, and uh, what a, what a great time to celebrate! What a great time to uh, hold up our moms in in our lives. And uh, I'm just so grateful. I know Michelle got a lot of really encouraging thoughts and words from people all over the place, and she was super encouraged. We had a fun time. Um, we're going to continue our study with Jesus now, and uh, uh, I actually want to bring up a. Uh, a, a I want us to just just to just to listen to this. I think this was a this was something I wrote a while ago, and it's really kind of a compilation of different things. You know, as we consider um, Jesus, uh, that uh, Jesus, a figure in history that really has impacted uh, billions, literally billions of people. Somebody from a part of the world that. Uh, is relatively off the beaten path, and yet it's not, as I shared the other day, it's where three continents intersect, um, but not considered, you know, the, the, the center of, <laughs> of world population or world uh, business affairs or world military affairs or, or in, on any level of, of global issues. And yet, um, Jesus managed to have an impact on more than half the world, on, most of the world's population, and even to this day, despite the world being highly secularized, uh, it's still there's over two two and a half billion people who profess to believe in Jesus, um, and I think that that uh, sometimes you know we're so used to Jesus, we just have to stop and realize. Can you imagine anybody having this kind of impact in the world? You know, we we have to stop and just remember this is. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, uh, probably, you know, better known as Yeshua ben Yosef, you know, Jesus, the son of Joseph, um, son of David, and uh, consider the impact of one person's life. H.G. Wells once said, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. And, you know, and obviously this is absolutely true in the Western world, but it has also had a major impact in the Eastern world and in the New World, you know, huge impact. And in Africa, you know, there's there's literally no part of the world that Jesus hasn't had a major impact. Um, and, of course, some parts much more than others but a global historical impact around the world. Um, and you think about it, he was born in poverty, probably born in a cave, because that's often, there's a lot of caves in that area, and that's where they would keep animals at night to keep them safe. Uh, swaddled, swaddled in a, most likely a trough. I've seen a lot of these caves have a trough dug out, literally in the rock, where you could put water for the animals. And that's probably, they put some, straw in there and it would make a perfect little crib. Um, you know, as a child, his, uh, there was a, a warrant or an arrest put out to murder him actually. And he and his parents were refugees. Uh, they had to walk about 450 miles uh, across to Egypt. And that'd be like walking from LA to Flagstaff, Arizona. I mean, it's a, it's a long distance or farther than walking to 
I believe San Francisco even from LA. Uh, as, and here we go. As an adult, he never traveled more than 30 miles from his hometown. He never wrote a book, never wrote a poem, never wrote any prose. Yet his writings have been read by more people than anybody else in history. He never wrote a song, never composed never wrote a symphony or any other form of music, and yet more songs, poems, and books have been written about him than anybody else in history. He never held government titles, he never commanded armies, never led nations, never built a company, and yet his he is followed by millions for thousands of years. He's, he's, his, his book, you could say the book that describes him has been number one bestseller for more than any uh, anything even nothing even comes close to it in the history of the world uh he never held government titles um he he he's followed by millions for thousands of years and yet you know he he of course obviously even in modern terms let's just say it he has more followers than anyone on twitter he has more friends than anyone on facebook he has more texts that have been read by anyone than any anybody else in the entire history of the world. And he never owned anything, never owned a house, never owned land, never owned, had any wealth to speak of, uh, anything that had any earthly value, um, died penniless, uh, lived penniless pretty much. Yet because of him, millions of hungry people are fed every day and have been so for thousands of years. Millions of homeless are given shelter every day and have been so. Millions of children receive an education and have received many educations. In fact, many of our top universities like a Yale or Princeton or Harvard were all religious schools. They were schools founded on the principles of being enlightened, uh, being taught. And millions of sick are healed around the world. Uh, they receive medicine and medical care all in the name of Jesus. Um, he's inspired millions to give up everything that they have to go and serve the poor and to be missionaries and to be medical missionaries and to be nurses and to to be volunteers and to be preachers and go around the world far away from their homes. He's inspired them to give up everything and leave everything all in the name of Jesus. And it has been this way for thousands of years. That's what's absolutely incredible. So we can't help but to recognize that Jesus was great. I mean, if the Queen of England walked in, we would all, we'd all kneel because that would be the proper gesture to show honor and respect. Yet if Jesus walked in, we'd probably fall on our face, you know, because we would be humbled and blown away by him. His coming has been heralded for thousands of years. Uh, for hundreds of years before he came, there were prophecies given that completely described, you know, from Genesis to Malachi, how he would come, how he would be born, all the things that would happen in his life. And everything was fulfilled. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled. You can usually tell how great somebody is by their name and their titles, right? Um, he was called the chief cornerstone, the firstborn over all creation, the head of the church, the holy one of God, the judge, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the light of the world, the son of God, the son of man, the word, the word of God, the word of life, the alpha and the omega, the Emmanuel, uh, the Lord of all, the I am, the true God, 
the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, there's just, there's, there's no comparison. There's nobody that comes to this kind of impact. Today, 2.4 billion people around the world believe in him. And, you know, how many of them have had their lives transformed, their lives changed by Jesus? Clearly not just a man. Clearly God in the flesh. Clearly somebody who's just absolutely incredible and powerful. And if anything he said would be untrue, it would have been proven a lie a hundred times. But it hasn't. I mean, nothing he has taught has ever been proven wrong. Um, John chapter 10, verse 30 says, uh, he says, I and the Father are one. That statement alone, right there, boom. That, that would do it. That would, that would describe him completely. It would be blasphemous if it were not true. He says, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They picked up stones to stone him. You, a mere man, claim to be God. You know, it's funny because... This battle over who is Jesus. You might be wondering, why are you going so much detail over who is Jesus? The reason why is because this is the battle. This is the front line of the battle. Because if Jesus is not who he says he is, then we really don't need to follow him. He's just a nice guy. He's like Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. They'd all be the same. And, and, and those men were truly great men, but they did, they weren't God in the flesh and they didn't claim to be God. In fact, they, had nothing but the utmost respect for Jesus. If but Jesus, they realized that Jesus was clearly not on their level. And 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 the fact is, is either what he said is true about himself or it's not true. They wanted to stone him because they understood that what he was saying meant he's God. Meant he's God in the flesh. Why is that significant? Well, again, because this this truth, this reality is being attacked right now. Uh, the largest and fastest growing religions in the world have alternate views of Jesus. And, and they present a different Jesus. In Islam, there's Jesus. He's in the Quran. But he is Esau and he is not God in the flesh. In fact, they would consider that blasphemy. Um, even in, in the, in the Book of Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness translation, he is not God in the flesh. He's not the same Jesus that you and I espouse to, that you and I understand. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach a very different Jesus and actually teach that he's absolutely not Jesus. He's not God in the flesh. And these are the religions that are growing very quickly out there and influencing lots of people, door knocking and, and out on the streets, handing out tracts to get people to believe a different Jesus. And that, and this has been the debate from the beginning. I mean, from right here, you know, where they wanted to pick up stones and, and kill him, stone him, to the very first big council of all the church leaders met, meeting together, the Council of Nicaea, 
That was one of the first things they wanted to nail down is to make it clear who is Jesus. Because there were so many false teachings out there and there were so many ideas, different ideas. And they wrote down what was called the Nicene Creed. This is what we believe. This is what Orthodox Christianity is. And I'll show you that a little bit later. But one of the, the, the symbols or the classic, uh, 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 symbols of, of Christianity and Jesus was the fish. And you're all familiar with it. You know, you've seen, you've seen cars with a little fish on it. And I've, I shared this in the John study, but why the fish? Well, those of you been in the John study, you know, because a fish in Greek is ichthus, ichthus, and ichthus was, was a, a, a basically, um, what do you call that? Uh, not an anagram, but, um, can't think of the word, but when something stands, each letter stands for something. Uh, somebody's probably sending it in on the comments. Um, but ichtu, so it stands for Jesu Christo Theos Sopater, which means Jesus Christ, Son, God, and Savior, or Son of God and Savior. Now, by the way, there's no of in there, but, but that, that was put in there, that was understood. So it's Jesus Christ, Son, God, and Savior. And, and that, that's all the theology. That's all the description. That's the, the base of, remember what I said earlier, Christology, the study of Jesus is, it's right there, Ixtus, okay? The other little symbol that you saw on there was the wheel. And, and those were, <laughs> the, the crazy thing is those were actually, uh, graffiti. Those are, those were Christians tagging the wall. And, um, so they, you see the Ixtus written there and then you see the wheel and basically the wheel because every one of those letters fits in a wheel. So you can find all, all, all five of those letters in the wheel. And so the wheel was a way that it kind of included all of who Jesus is. The other one is just drawing the fish. The, the story goes, and uh, you know, I don't have anything to verify this, but, but this is what traditional history or, or popular history says is that you'd go into a town square. Every, every town had a center and you'd write, you drew a line like this, you know, and then you'd wait. And if there's a Christian coming by, they'd go and complete the line and you have the fish, right? You'd have the top part and the bottom part, which means ichthus, right? Ichthus. Jesu Christo Theos Wios Sopater, right? Jesus Christ, Son, God, Savior. Um, that's the basic study of who is he? Who is Jesus? And he tells us with a very little symbol here. And that's, that's what the Christians used to communicate Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, um, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So we, we, we went through this. This is Jesus was from the very beginning, from creation, the exact representation, the exact radiance of God. And then in Colossians 1, we read the Son is the invisible, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were held together, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. So everything is held together by Jesus. We talked about the greatness of Jesus. And now we get to John. John is basically the, the, uh, the, the gospel specifically written for this. And, and if you've been with me with, and through the gospel of John, then you've gotten some of this. Um, and you know that in the beginning 
was the word. And in the beginning is written exactly as it is in Genesis, the first couple of letters, en arche, or in the beginning, en arche, and the, and the Bible says, en arche jotheos, right? In the beginning, God. And John wrote his gospels, in the beginning, the logos, right? And, and, and obviously making a reference to that first part, to the, to the, to, uh, tying it into Genesis, that Jesus is from the beginning. This is incredibly important because, because those people that knock on your door, they always want to read John 1, 1, and they use their translation, the New World Translation, which by the way, nobody uses because all the biblical scholars, reputable biblical scholars know that that translation is terrible. It's been translated wrong. It has major errors in it. I would say blasphemous errors by changing how Jesus portrayed what it says. And last time when we did the John study, I actually read it to everybody in Greek. Of course, everybody said, everybody always writes, that's Greek to me, but it says in Greek, in arche hologos, right? The, the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, so it is both with God and it is God. Jesus is the Logos, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and he's with God and he was God. Now I'm going to just skip real quick down to the bottom of that page. You'll see verse 14, the word, the Logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Okay, who is that? Obviously. Jesus, right? I mean, anybody, anybody knows that. Everybody would agree with that. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay. So he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We kind of covered that already in Colossians, but it's repeating the same thing. And remember, if you remember the study of John, John, this gospel is the last one written. This is around AD 95. By the time AD 95 comes around, there's other church groups calling themselves Christians that are not tied into the apostolic teaching, to what the apostles are teaching, that are teaching different things. Some have been very influenced by Greek philosophy, and they're kind of mixing Greek philosophy with Christianity. Others that are kind of shrinking back towards Judaism and the, there's a Pharisee party in the church, the Gnostics, and all these different influences and that, that are going in different directions. So, so John puts his gospel together that very much clarifies who is Jesus, what is Jesus, and, and why did Jesus come? And that's, that's why we always, we tend to start when somebody wants to learn the Bible, we start with the Gospel of John. This is a good place for you to start. If you're brand new to all this and you're learning about Jesus, John was written perfect. It was written for you, basically. Now, there's tons of stuff for us, too. That's the thing about the Bible. You know, I always, the way I describe the Bible is it's, it's kind of like looking at the stars at night. On an average night, you can look up and on an average night, you see about 3,000 stars. If you stayed up all night and counted all the stars, you'd see about 3,000 stars. Now, if you went out and bought, went down to Target or Kmart or, or Walmart and bought, uh, you know, one of their nice telescopes, 
Well, that would expand your view. You would see planets. You would you'd even see the light, light, light of 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 constellations. You might even see the ring around Saturn, you know, and you'd see more. So it'd be really cool. Whoa, I can see planets, you know. I can see the craters on the moon. I can you there'd be a lot more things you'd see. Now if you went out and bought a really good telescope and shot it up there and looked at things, boy, you could see you could see galaxies. I mean, you literally could look at other galaxies. You could look at constellations. You could look at, you could look at Jupiter and all its moons and Saturn. You would just see so much more. Same sky, but you're just, you've got a greater view. You've got a deeper view. And then if you went, drove down to Palomar Mountain and looked through their telescope, man, you would see galaxies far away. You would see nebulas. You would see all kinds of things. And it's the same sky. It just depends on how focused and how amplified your view is. How, how deep is your view? It's the same thing with the Bible. We read it. We learn so much. We read it deeper. We learn even more. We go deeper. We learn even more. I mean, I'm telling you, even for me, reviewing everything for these classes, every time I review, I learn new things. Every time I teach, I teach the stuff that I've not only known for years, but I'm throwing in there new things that I've learned and realized. Uh, especially as we've gone from chapter to chapter through it. But, but that's basically what, what John was give us a deeper view of who is Jesus. And so John is on the one hand, a very simple gospel, very simple written at a very, uh, I would say elementary school level reading. Um, certainly in Greek, it was the easiest to translate of anything in the new Testament. The easiest thing for me to translate from Greek to English was John. Um, Yet theologically profound. I mean, just he's he drops bombs, just deep, deep, powerful stuff about Jesus. And that's completely on purpose because that's the question of the hour is who is Jesus? And so he makes it crystal clear who is Jesus. And so he says, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I, I've pointed this out already. I love it that it's two possible translations. The darkness has not understood it, or the darkness has not overcome it. Both are true. You know, you turn on the lights. There isn't another light switch that you can hit that overcomes a light. Light is what overcomes darkness. And I know somebody wrote, well, what about dark matter? Uh, we don't even know what dark matter is, right? So we'll figure that out. I'm sure there's a way that light can deal with that too. So anyways, and all illustrations are only illustrations. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and, the only, and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You know, that, that last sentence, full of grace and truth, it's one of those sentences that it's easy to ignore. It's like, yeah, you know, it's a pretty sentence, but um, it has become, it has become more and more meaningful to me the older I get as a Christian. Because I under, because I see so much the, the, the tension between grace and truth. And it's because it comes from a, 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 a an instinct, a drive that we have. Some of us, and this is partly experience and partly biblical studying, is that I, I've realized, you know, there are many times where God talked about do not wander to the left or to the right. You know, and he tells that to Joshua. He says, he tells him to, to, to basically pay attention to his words 
keep himself focused on the word of God and, and that will keep him from wandering to the right or to the left. And the older I get, the more I realize that we're all kind of, we have personality types and I've done a lot of research on personalities and how we're influenced and what is, in a sense, kind of think of it as what is our pre-installed software? Some of us lean to the right, some of us lean to the left. Some of us tend to be more liberal, some of us tend to be more conservative. Some of us tend to be more innovative, some of us tend to be more traditional. So we ha- we have that left-right leaning out there. And most of us lean one direction toward the others. One parent is disciplinarian, one parent is more just hugs and positive affirmation. And one parent is discipline and punishment when needed, you know, and 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 we we tend to be that way. I see that really play out in our religion. Some of us really gravitate towards towards we've got to let people know what the rules are, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what is sin. We we see things more black and white. You know, this is wrong, this is right. What is the truth? And that's what draws us to Jesus is the truth of Jesus, the truth of God having it very clear what is right, what is wrong. Some of us tend towards more, you know, hugs and love and warmth and, and, and you know, grace and mercy and kindness. And, you know, for years we were like starving for grace. Now we're loving it because everybody's talking about grace. And we tend towards that. And we, we not that we, not that either side necessarily dismisses the other. It's just, it's our leaning it's our tendency. Now, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, he will balance us. He will help us from going too far in either direction. And I see the Bible in a lot of ways are like guardrails. You know, they, there's, there's, there's room for some variance there. Some, you know, you could talk more about grace. You could talk more about discipline, righteousness, holiness, you know, and both are good topics. And some of us will be better at this. Some of us will be better at that. There's guardrails. And those are the Bible. That's the Bible. Those are the scriptures that keep us from going too far in that direction, too far in that direction. Jesus came full of both. He's the perfect balance. He could come in and lay it out about sin, flipping tables, rebuking the crowd. He rebuked the Pharisees again and again and again. You know, Matthew 23, the, the, he lays them out. Matthew 25, you know, the seven woes. And I mean, just, Nobody could lay it out like Jesus. I mean, Jesus can lay it out about right and wrong, repent or perish, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth, ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. I mean, Jesus can lay it out. And yet, the tone of his ministry is absolutely grace and love. And so there is that balance. There's that very healthy balance of who Jesus is. And, and, I think that that's why it's so important that our focus is always on Jesus because we will, we'll, we'll go too far to one side, you know, and even, even you have to have grace and truth, uh, you, or, or another way of saying is love and truth, right? It's sometimes, some translations literally say full of love and truth, um, grace and truth, love and truth. Um, you know, that, that some of us, we, 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 we so, we're so strong in one and, and weak in the other, maybe even blind. And that's another reason why we have to have different kinds of people leading. 
so that we get the full image of Jesus. If I've got part of Jesus' image and Michelle's got part of Jesus' image, then together we're much more like Jesus than we are separate. Like Michelle and I are, are you know, on a personality index, we are absolutely opposites. But we really help each other. Part of the secret of our success as leaders is, honestly, we influence each other a lot. Michelle helps. She sees things more as truth, right and wrong, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. I tend to see things more as love and grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Those are what just very clear to me. That's what's very clear to her. But she she totally has been influenced by me. And of course, she loves grace and mercy and kindness. And and likewise, I have been totally influenced by her. And I want things to be right and holy and 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 you know sanctified and correct. So together we form great a great leadership. We're we're able to complete the circle. You know, not perfect. Obviously, we all have our issues, but much better than on our own. And the same thing in a leadership team. You want different kinds of people that are going to fill in the blanks of who Jesus is and to be able to be like him. That's why diversity is wonderful. That's what, I mean, the, 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 even the corporate world has discovered the power of diversity. You know, that, that when you have diverse views and understandings, it's incredible. The leadership level, the level of leadership of the room can vastly increase because no, even an an awesome leader is going to be outdone by a great team of leaders. They're going to lose every time because a great team of leaders, you stack them all up, they equal much more than an awesome leader. And an awesome leader working with a great team makes an amazing team, a Jesus-like team. So again, why is this so important? Because because that's what Jesus was. That's the full picture. That's why we got to keep our eyes on Jesus so we don't wander to one or wander the other too far. And we will. It's called mission drift. When you suddenly realize, when you finally realize, and actually it doesn't even have to realize it for it to be mission drift, it happens to a lot of people that they are not who they say they are. They are not doing what they say they're doing. They're not really living out their mission statement. You know how companies will have a mission statement? And usually this is in the context of an organization. So somebody comes in to help them because they're not doing well. And the first thing they check is, are you living up to your mission statement? Are you are you achieving what you say? Are you who you think you are? I think in our church, we've had to we've had to really look at ourselves, you know, as as are we really evangelistic? Are we really trying to win the world for Jesus? Are we really sharing the gospel? Are we really loving one another? And that's a good thing because the Bible says, test yourself, right? So as individuals, we need to do that. Am I really following Jesus? And I don't mean am I perfect or not. I mean, anybody and everybody's got their faults. Anybody and everybody makes their mistakes. But am I really following Jesus? Am I focused on that? Am I trying to be full of grace and truth, because I got to have them both. Grace without truth is just a bunch of emotional sentimentality. And truth without grace is harsh and overbearing. You got to have them both. You got to have them both. That we live by the truth, but we're gracious and we're loving. We're gracious and we're loving. 
But we're not fooling ourselves. We're not believing our own propaganda. We know we go by what's true. What is the truth? How am I really doing? And and to have that truth, we need input. We need help from others. We need to make sure that we're neither going to the left nor going to the right. So that that's part of the beauty and the power of Jesus' leadership. And I'll just close out introducing the theme of or the thought of logos. You know, logos. Um, it meant a lot of different things, and we'll close out with this. Uh, the logos, you know, this is the second word, in archeologos, in the beginning was logos. And the logos is the word used to describe Jesus, right? I, I, I grabbed this definition from the Britannica Encyclopedia. Logos, a principle originating in classical Greek thought, which refers to a universal divine reason, eminent in nature, yet transcending all oppositions and imperfections, in the cosmos and humanity, an eternal and unchanging truth present from the line of cre- from the time of creation, available to every individual who seeks it. Okay, that was the standard Britannica definition of logos. Um, this is the term used to describe Jesus, and you could see it in there. Philo of Alexandria wrote uh, that the logos was the intermediary between God and the cosmos, being both. Philo was a Jew, by the way. Uh, being both the agent of creation and the agent through which the human mind can apprehend and comprehend God. The term logos is used multiple times in the Targums. The Targums were the writings of the scriptures, the, 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 like, the, like the mission, the writings of early rabbis and, and discussions. And the Greeks wrote, uh, Heraclitus, uh, is, uh, excuse me, Thai is like a river flowing. This is logos. In is God's order, reason, the power of God. The idea of the logos in Greek thought harks back to the least to at least the sixth century. Uh, this is BC or BCE, as is said now. Uh, philosopher Heraclitus, who discerned in the cosmic presence a logos analogous to the reasoning power in man. So, really, for both, it meant something huge. It meant something central to creation. So this is the term the Holy Spirit uses, that Jesus is the logo. He is the all. He is the everything. He is the reason. He is He is always ever-present in what ties and gives order to the universe, which is very similar to what we just read in Colossians and what we read uh, in, in John and, and in Hebrews. So we'll stop there. That's a lot. And then we'll cl- we're going to finish... Well, we're getting close, so we'll keep going here. God bless you and have a great day. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.